All right, we are here today with Kariatu in what's it called? McNally's Jackson Bookstore. And she's going to tell me a bit about her story and um, how she got here and where she's from and tell me about intellectual pursuit she's up to as well. So go right ahead. <laughs> well, my name is Kadia too. Um, like my partner says, I'm a perpetual immigrant. Uh, I was born in Mali, uh, grew up in Gabon since my parents were uh, teaching in Gabon. Uh, and I moved to New York in 2010 for college and ended up staying because of the opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and really, it, it quite didn't make sense to go back home because I don't feel like I have a home. Mm -hmm. Because um, growing up in Gabon, I was always seen as uh, the Malian girl. Mm -hmm. But then when I would go on vacation in Mali, people will call me the Gabonese girl. Oh, interesting. So, and now that I moved here, people back home, you know, whether it's like Gabon or uh, mm -hmm. Mali, they look at me and they say, oh, now you're American. Mm -hmm. But really, I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So your parents were teaching in Gabon. And why were they teaching there? What was the push and pull factors for why they uprooted you or made you or the family move? Like what happened there? So in the early or mid 70s, uh, the Gabonese government was looking to hire more science teachers um, because Gabon is a very small country and they were getting right out of the uh, independence movement. So they didn't have the resources and the labor to teach uh, all the classes and all the subjects. So they reached out to many countries, um, in, specifically in West Africa, um, like Mali, Senegal, um, Cameroon, mm -hmm. uh, Togo, Benin, mm -hmm. and uh, offered to hire uh, people who were either right out of the uh, teaching mm -hmm. uh, university mm -hmm. or who were already teaching mm -hmm. there. So that's how I'm, I'm, well, the first person to get a contract was my dad. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically he put my mom on and they both were hired and moved to a small town actually. At first they weren't in the capital, which was very interesting for them. Um, to be in a whole different country, in a whole different part of Africa, mm -hmm. because uh, West Africa is very different than Central Africa, very, very different. Uh, different cultures, different languages, different food. Um, it's just, it's, it's very different. So they moved there. Um, they already had my older sister and my brother, uh, my first brother, mm -hmm. and then my other brother who is before me was born in Gabon so they ended up getting another contract to teach in the capital which was much better for them um, because the other town was pretty rural um, so they didn't have that much access to a lot of things so they moved to the capital um, in I would say like in the 80s what's the capital Gabon uh, Libreville mm -hmm. in the 80s and uh, basically 
the only reason why I was born in, well, there's two reasons I was born in Mali. First, my mom did not like the experience of getting giving birth to my brother in Gabon. She was like, you know, she the 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 um the nurses were rude and it's a whole different culture and they are a little bit xenophobic mm-hmm. in Gabon, uh, especially towards people from West Africa. So she did not want to give birth to me in Gabon. And also I was born during vacation in September. So it was the perfect time for her to go back to Mali and give birth to me there. So I was brought back, I guess you can say back (laughs) to Gabon when I was about like two weeks old. Um, And a lot of people actually that I grew up with think I was born in Gabon because Mm -hmm. of that. But really I wasn't. Uh, so that's how I ended up living there and growing up there because they had a contract with the government and, you know, they didn't really feel a need to break the contract since, you know, it's kind of like the mentality of like working uh, at a company almost um, for like 30 years, like having a career and then retiring and getting your pension. Gotcha. So, yeah. But they recently moved back to Mali about like three, four years ago mm-hmm. because... You know, they, they're, they're not Gabonese. They didn't want to naturalize in Gabon. Um, but they now kind of regret it a little bit. <laughs> because after spending like 30 plus years in a whole different country, it's very hard to go back and readapt themselves, you know, to the Malian culture mm-hmm. and the Malian lifestyle and the food. And, you know, um, but yeah, that's how I ended up in Gabon. And what is um, what would you say are the primary differences between Malian culture and Gabonese culture? Because they both speak French as one of the main languages. Yes. yes. And then what are the other languages spoken? And mm-hmm. you know, things that are happening in both countries mm-hmm. that maybe parallel each other or might be very distinctive. So they both speak French as uh, the main or like the official language. Um, in Gabon, there's about 40 plus other languages that are spoken. Wow. Yeah. That's not a very big country either. It is, it is not. The population is about 2 million. What? Or 2.5 million. It's very small. Mali is much bigger and there's probably about 100 plus languages okay. spoken in Mali. I would say the main differences are in the food and the climate. Mali is very dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, desert. Yeah, it's yeah, the it's desert. It's the Sahara mm-hmm. Desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabon is very humid. It's kind of like the Floridian type of mm-hmm. weather. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the politics, because that's also a big part of like the culture, Gabon is, um, I mean, after the independence, I know in the 90s there was a little bit of a, uh, civil like conflict but it's a very m- stable country um, politically wise Mali has been struggling with um, civil wars but specifically in the north and right now for the past couple of years it's been very almost well crazy in the north because now there's terrorism in place and there's uh, the Tuaregs who want to um, install like a secession and separate from 
Mali mm. and create their own state. So there's a lot going on in the north, which is also affecting the south, where is actually where there's the capital, Bamako. Mm. And also Mali's a poor country. There's a lot of people. I think <laughs> the population is probably like 14, about 14 or 12 millions. Oh, wow. Um, Gabon is technically very rich. They have every single type of mineral you can think about. Um, they have oil. Um, and the fact that it's also a coastal country is very important because they have access to many different things mm -hmm. and they're able to export and import um, much easier. Uh, Mali is a continental country, um, so that affects both the economy mm -hmm. and also uh, the diet. Because mm -hmm. in Gabon, you will eat a lot of like seafood, a lot of like vegetables, a lot of fruits. And in Mali, there are lots of fruits, but seafood, not so much. And it's expensive. Um, so getting access to certain food um, types is very hard. And I think that's one of the things that my parents struggle with, especially my mom, because she's diabetic. Mm. So, yeah, it, it's her since she moved her um, insulin. I mean, she has to she had to be on insulin because her sugar level just weren't stable because the food is so much different. Um, so I think those are like the main differences. And in terms of the cultures, the different cultures, it's it's. It's really not the same. The, it's really not the same. There's so many different um, differences in the cultures that it's, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah, and they've, and they've adapted to yes. Gabon, which, you know, has access to more things. It's a poor mm -hmm. country, so mm -hmm. that means also you have that import-export factor as well, right. getting things mm -hmm. uh, and goods, whereas Mali is... It is in the Sahara Desert. Like yeah. it's, yeah. it's mm -hmm. and you have, you know, politically people are trying to succeed, which I can only imagine how that affects just the stability of the country. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that they were that there's also some like ethnic cleansing or Yes. So uh what's going on in the south, um a couple of hours from the capital is uh, there's the Dogon the people who are basically fighting with the Fulani people uh, and they're each like blaming each other. As I do. <laughs> yeah. The Dogon are saying the Fulani are supporting the terrorists and the Fulani are saying the Dogon are like trying to take over their uh, territory. Mm. So in the past few months there's been a lot of killings of the Fulani mainly um, because the Dogon are like uh, hunters and, you know, so they have guns and stuff like that. Gotcha. And the Fulani are more like farmers. Farmers, I was going to say, I bet you they're yeah. farmer and community. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, recently there's been like a hundred Fulani people that were killed in like a village. And it's very scary, specifically for me because my mom is Fulani, although she's um, from a different part of uh, the country, you know, it's still kind of like, so if I'm Fulani and I want to travel somewhere, it's like... It's, it's touch it, and go. It's tough. Yeah, it's dangerous. You know? um, plus, there's been like random acts of terrorism in the city, in, 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 in the capital. Um, so it's really, 
it's really unstable right now over there. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's hard, obviously. Yeah. And, and your parents have moved back there. And yeah, they're probably like, ah, oh, we moved from a more stable, prosperous country back to our homeland, which is going through issues. Right. And they're in the capital, I imagine. Yeah? Yes, they are. And you said they're teachers or professors, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, so is there any protection given to them being professors or anything? Not or? at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I mean, um, no. Oh. No. That's it, it's I mean they they um I think recently they had like a guardian you know that they hired mm-hmm. um for security purposes obviously because there's also like uh um uh, teeth yeah. going on of course <laughs> you know of course. so um but there's no like there's no entity or you know anybody that would like be assuming that role okay so like the wild wild west in that regard yeah. so they're just there and that's stressful mm-hmm. and you mentioned your older siblings who do they what was that like because they're a bit older than you they mm-hmm. were living they probably have a different perspective also because they lived more in Gabon right mm-hmm. or, uh, and then they moved where did they move to afterwards so my sister was the first to move to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she moved to New York and she was going to uh, the, the Staten Island, the College of yeah. Staten Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, because that was very expensive, um, she transferred to like, uh, I think she transferred to, at some point she was she moved to Tallahassee. And she really liked it there, but hurricanes. So many. <laughs> so, so she had to move uh, back to New York um, and uh, went to like, Queens College, mm-hmm. and at some point around 2005, 2004, she uh, she moved to Virginia, Norfolk, uh, and she's been back and forth between Virginia and New York because it's kind of close. Mm-hmm. My other brother, uh, Bubakar, uh, he moved to Houston directly mm-hmm. from uh, Gabon, and uh, we have a bunch of like. Uh, cousins in brackets because we're Africans and we call everybody that we grew up with yep. cousins. Yes, you do. So yes, you do. <laughs> we're not related, but yeah, we're cousins. Absolutely. Because we grew up together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a big community of them in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of like Gabonese in Houston as well. Mm, um, so it's like a big community there. And, you know, he was a big, you know, he was very welcomed in that community. And then my other brother, Mohammed, also moved to Houston. But actually, he um, transited in New York. He, he did his uh, ESL, English as a Second Language, in New York. And then after that, he moved to Houston. So when I graduated high school, my brother, Mohammed, was kind of like, you know what, you should go to France. And I was like, I don't want to go to France. Because I don't like the French like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's a weird relationship when you are from, uh, you know, a colonized um, country, continent. So to like move to that colonial power country is disturbing. Oh, I can't. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's because I was too woke <laughs> as a child, but it was very disturbing to me. Uh, and I also was hearing like horror stories of like how like 
French, certain like white French people would treat like other Africans, especially Malians, because there's a big community, Malian community in French, I mean, in France, um, and some of them are undocumented. So um, there's a lot of like racism and xenophobia there. And I never thought, you know, I would be able to like fully integrate and be happy if I moved to France. Um, but a lot of my friends moved there because from Gabon, that's like, there's a joke in Gabon that says that uh, France is like the 10th um, state of Gabon. Of course. Because they're so close mm -hmm. to each other, politically speaking. So when my brother was like, you should move to France, I was like, no. And then it was also too late because the process to get a visa and get like a, a, an inscription or... Um, To the, to the in the university would it takes like months it takes basically you're like the last six months of like your senior year to do it wow. and you go to like interviews and stuff like that before mm. they can even give you a visa so we were like all right so i guess you're gonna come to this you know to the u.s and the plan was also for me to transit to new york and then move to houston But I think my brothers were kind of like, uh, and I was also kind of like, uh, Houston is very small. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's big, but it's, big, it's, but it's, it's small, small like, mentality. Yes. Right. So I was like, you know, I moved to New York, did my ESL at LaGuardia. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I entered in a very high level, there's basically 10 levels in the ESL. And I was like level seven uh i could directly apply to the college so i applied got in and i was it was just kind of like oh well i guess i'm staying in new york so um i went to LaGuardia for a couple semesters and uh, my goal was to be a nurse Because, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a doctor. And then I was like, you know, that's a lot of years <laughs> in school. So many years. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to do something medical and I want to be a nurse. Because I, I, I like helping people and taking care of people. And uh, I started to go like in the nursing classes, all the biologies and, and, and chemistry classes. And then because of my immigration status I couldn't go on with it and I started looking at other options so I went into human services and I was like you know that's still like social work and I can still take care of people and then I was like but what can I really do with this you know when I really started thinking about like the work I was like but really would I really be helping people and I took, uh, as part of my uh, general requirements, I took a global politics class and I fell in love with politics. And I was like, "This, I love this. And I applied to City College, got in to their international studies um, program. So I graduated in international studies with a concentration of international relations and public policy. And it's been interesting because... I'm not even using that degree right now. No one ever is. <laughs> Nobody ever does, dear. Nobody ever does. So um, that's basically how I ended up in the U.S. Because my family was already, like part of my family was already here. Mm. Um, 
and you know from there it's been like a very interesting um journey yeah i imagine and also it's so important to note like having family that's in the country can really help definitely and it gives you some sort of support network and also visibility into like where you're going to yes like you knew enough to know that you didn't want to go to houston because it didn't have the type of like open-mindedness or personality or energy that you're looking for Mm -hmm. uh also texas can be quite conservative houston is unique it is a large city Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of you know international people there Mm -hmm. but But. it's not in new york um (laughs) no as someone from the dallas area i know that like dallas is changing there are people from all over moving there because it's a big Mm -hmm. business but it's still is a very long way to go to have the open-mindedness and connectedness to culture that New York City has mm-hmm. so I totally relate uh I also know moving to New York was easier because my sister lives here so mm-hmm. you know I was gonna come either way but <laughs> I could crash at her house right and it's not just like a house it's a place where there's like she's established here she's yeah. been here a while so yeah. I have that blessing so mm-hmm. I get that uh and also white quite the story like you were gonna you were like I think it was fate that going to France didn't work out mm-hmm. uh and I completely understand that perspective of not as someone as an immigrant but as my parents and the whole my dad had the opportunity to go to the uk when he was leaving ghana and he was mm-hmm. like no i'm not gonna go to the colonizer's house <laughs> he's like i'm not going there <laughs> and, and, and and i have uncles and aunts who live in the, in london and they love it but it's also like a running joke in our family yes. that like they live in london like, yeah, yeah. like it's like london's great like love it mm-hmm. but it is like they colonize Ghana in a way that was very aggressive and um, is still a remnants of that is in everything from like the castles. It's not just the English, the Mm -hmm. Dutch, the Mm -hmm. Portuguese. It's just, it's everywhere and it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really would, you know, recommend when people go to African nations to go to these port cities and really see the history, the tours, because you will learn some dark, dark things. Uh, And it's, yeah, it's crucial. But Going to France, I mean, the French perspective, I did have a friend or I do have a friend who has lived there and, and people who are, whether they be of, you know, Caribbean heritage or mm-hmm. also, um, you know, Middle Eastern heritage. And yes. that whole, French people are abruptly racist. Um, they are. <laughs> and Spanish people are too. Americans are. Everyone is. But mm-hmm. I'm saying there's a particular tinge of French racism, which is like. Well, I would say that. um I mean, two of my best friends uh, live in France, and uh, the the type of conversations we are able to have in the U.S. about racism and about you know black and white and Hispanic or Latinx conversations, they're not happening in Europe like that. No, and everybody just tries not to have them, and it's it is definitely a push on the French part to have people assimilate like don't try to be like it, it's it, once you French like you should be French French there's no it's not like here you can be Chinese American and be proud of it you know yeah uh, there it's like no if you're French then you have to be like just French you know weird very weird very it's weird, weird. Um, so it, I definitely think you know I made the right choice yeah. not to go there I think you did too and I've heard a running joke about uh, you know 
whether it be like African soccer player or football players yes. in France, they're like, yes. well, they're from Mali or Gabon uh, if, if France loses, but if they win, they're French. Exactly. <gasps> it, no, it's a real mm. thing. And it's been like that even since I was a kid growing up, you know, like, because, you know, African countries have always provided with the soccer players, um, from like years and years and years. Of course. It's so, in the blood. It's in the blood. Yeah. Whether you're like uh, Algerian mm-hmm. or like from Mali or from Senegal um, and you're playing for the French team. You, I mean, when you, it, it was interesting because last year during the World Cup, the with Instagram now, you know, you could see like the players having fun, like playing African music, playing, uh, you know, all types of Caribbean music and dancing to it, wearing their French um, uniforms as soccer players. But, you know, there were a couple of people who were just kind of salty about it, you know, because technically they're French, but you can't ignore where you come from just because now you're French. No, it doesn't work like that. You don't just shroud all of your background exactly. and upbringing to be a French person. Right. That's weird. It's very strange. Very. Uh, and I feel like the reverse happens in America. People like to forget and like ignore it. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm like, you're all immigrants at some point. <laughs> the only people who are native are the first peoples and they yes. were fucked out over in general. So yes. let's, let's calm down. Let's, yeah. let's breathe a little bit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just going back to that and moving to New York and mm-hmm. that whole process, which is a lot. You went to LaGuardia High School, which is, or was it like LaGuardia? Because LaGuardia is a college. So yes. you, your ESL so was through their college. It, it was through, well, it's basically through the college. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's more like reading, writing, um, and speaking mm-hmm. classes. And also you get a class to prepare you for the TOEFL, which is like the uh, English yep. exam. Yep, exam, yeah. Yeah, so... I took the exam like after my first semester, uh, passed it and, you know, just went on with the college. <laughs> yeah. But is that, it's that, what was that whole, like, how did it feel? Because you're learning another language. Yes. You're also young. So younger people absorb yeah. it a little bit better. Were there people <laughs> who are significantly older in your class mm-hmm. as well? Yes, actually there were. Um, so I was, uh, I think I turned 19 in the U.S. in 2010. And uh, it was interesting because in the ESL, there were a lot of people from like 20, in the 20s, in the 30s and 40s. And I don't know why, but usually a lot of like older people gravitate around me. I've always had like older friends. (laughs) And it was somewhat easier for me, I would say, because in Gabon, through middle school from middle school to like high school you have to learn english like that's it's part of your uh the subjects that are being taught and then um i think once you transition to like your last year of middle school you have to pick up another language so i did uh english or i was already doing english in uh, gabon the only thing is i was better at writing it than speaking it because Mm -hmm. I didn't need to speak it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I also learned German, which I forgot because I'm not using it. But did you use it a little bit on your trip a bit? German? Mm, just like a few words. And it, it's, it's, I was preparing myself to use it and I was disappointed almost 
Because everybody speaks English there. It's, yeah, in Berlin, yes. <laughs> Wild. I was like, how come everybody speaks English? Mm-hmm. And people would just see me and walk up to me and speak English. Yeah. And I'll be like, how do you know yeah. I speak English? Like, it was crazy. That's but, so it, you know, it's it's good because you, like, you end up being pretty comfortable because there's no hard uh, communication yeah. going on. But um, so in the ESL really what I needed to work on was uh, adjust to like hearing people speak Mm -hmm. you know and understanding what they were saying the accents and also work on my accent you know and work on like speaking the you know the language and also I was very I was very shy when I moved here I was very shy and you know I had to, I had to like be like, all right, get out of your comfort zone because if you don't, you, you're not going to be able to stay here. Yeah. So you have to do the work. And, you know, I started going out a little bit more, hang out with my friends a little bit more, friends that I made at the ESL. And they were mostly um, Koreans. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I love that because it's just such an interesting, did you have a lot of interaction with Koreans before coming to New York? Not really. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But somehow that's, you know, those are the, the friends I made. I met a couple of people from Brazil, from, you know, other countries, but but Africans. Yeah. 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 Somehow. I, I, I had Korean friends. I had Brazilian friends. Mm-hmm. But um, an Ecuadorian friend, Peruvians, but I didn't have any African friends. Okay, yeah, that happens. <laughs> yeah. So that was very interesting for me. Mm-hmm. And so then after that, after like being in school and in college, when did you say that you found your footing in New York? And where were you living? Where are the different neighborhoods where you're living in? So since I've been here, I've been in Brooklyn, uh, and. Uh, I've lived in Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy, and recently Bronzeville. Okay. Um, but I've always lived in Brooklyn. Um, and I, I don't think I don't think I could live anywhere else. <laughs> so, yeah, you feel... So right now, yeah, you live in a variety of places, mm-hmm. for sure. And do you feel that, like... That's really helped mold your perception of New York. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I recently moved to Brownsville from Bed-Stuy. And I was a little bit heartbroken to move out of Bed-Stuy because it was just getting too expensive. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I always loved Bed-Stuy. And I had my places, my core places that I always went to, you know, whether it's like a gallery space or a restaurant or a coffee shop you know I was just very comfortable there but I would say that Brownsville has been a little bit of a um, rooting thing for me because when I first came to the U.S. actually I visited uh, in 2006 with my mom so we visited my sister uh, when my nephew was born and uh, she was living in uh, uh, East New York. Okay. And uh, we used to hang out a lot in Bed-Stuy and uh, Midtown. 
So I was already used to bed style from there. So when I moved in 2010 uh, and we were like in bed style, it was, it felt comfortable for me. Um, then we were in Crown Heights and it was still comfortable because Crown Heights is really like right there to next to a bed style. So I felt some type of grounding. But um, what's interesting with Brownsville right now is that it looks like bed style like 10 years ago. Mm. So it's been a little bit of a going back to like what I first experienced when I moved to Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Um, so it's very interesting. That's very But interesting. I do see it changing. And uh, I am very sure that it's gonna, you know, catch up to bed style in a few years. Of course. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate, but it's also part of life, unfortunately. Yeah, it's definitely gentrification, the G word, and mm -hmm. how that affects the the fabric of communities and and the push and pull factors of the people who've been living there and the mm -hmm. preservation that's needed to mm -hmm. enable them to stay there uh, is there's so much work and it's it's so prevalent in New York City you can see it at face value yeah. whereas if you live in cities for example Dallas it's harder to see because you're in your car yes. except right. you notice that the you know the neighborhoods are changing and the storefronts are different and uh -huh. it's more expensive uh -huh. um, whereas here you walk down the street and you're like well this is weird this entire street has completely different buildings yes Um, or, or all of a sudden it looks like there are a lot more people who are white who are walking into this neighborhood yeah. and there was nobody white before. Yes. Uh, and so you can see it and it's, mm -hmm. and it's, you're like at one point you're like, oh, this place is, or this, you know, town is more safe. But then you're like, well then, but it's also more expensive. And can I like even really afford it now because right. of like what's happening? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, understood, understood. And in terms of the situation in New York City. So you got here in like 2010, mm -hmm. Obama's president. Yes. And that's a whole, that's ushering in a whole era of mm -hmm. what we had hoped to be this progressive cultural shift. Mm -hmm. And what did that feel like moving here? Like you're coming from Gabon, like what's happening in Gabon at that time and what's happening in the States? Like, was it mirroring each other or was it like a very different perspective? Um, so my senior year of high school the uh president omar bongo died and uh everybody was worried because he had been president for 40 plus years wow so he, dictator I think he, more or less well yes yeah he was uh, i think the longest uh running president i think mm -hmm. uh in africa and uh it was scary It was scary because we were we were in high school, you know, preparing for our exam um, to graduate. And uh, just before the end of the year, he dies. And everybody's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? And luckily, it was a smooth transition. Part of their constitution uh, says that uh, if the president is uh, not capable of running the country, the person in charge is the president of the uh, assembly. And at the time it was a woman. Uh, so it was very interesting to see that actually, you know, a black woman, you know, running the country. 
um, for a couple of months until the elections. And uh, when the elections happened, uh, it was also a little bit worrisome because the son of the former president, Ali Bongo, uh, decided to run for president. And uh, everybody was kind of like against it because, I mean, that's his son. And also there's been rumor, rumors about him not being a legitimate son and blah, blah, oh, blah. You know, here, but, here we go. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's his son. Mm-hmm. It's Unless you can prove it with like facts, mm-hmm. then whatever you're saying is not relevant. Yeah. But, you know, the elections went through. There was a little bit of... Uh, unrest uh civil wise and i think the police and military had to intervene at some point mm. however um he was elected and now he's the president so i think the dialogue here with the u.s is definitely that you know while hillary clinton and obama were competing in becoming president Well, we had a woman running a country in Africa. And I know like it's a big deal in the U.S. to have a woman become president. And it's very, very, very disturbing when you look at other countries. Developing nations. Yes. Specifically in Africa, who have been run by women. Mm -hmm. Women of color, too. I mean, it's a different dynamic, but still, this country is what two hundred something years yes, old. Yes, I know, I know, <laughs> and we're and we're fighting. Oh, she has this backer. She's done exactly. this. It's like you're just shaming her. Yes, and I'm not to say that she was perfect because she was far from it. But yes. come on, right? Yes. So that was the dialogue mainly, and uh, you know, we were all watching the U.S. and we were all like, "Oh my God, a black president!" I mean, he's mixed. And we can't ignore that fact, but still, when you look at um, the politics and around race in the U.S., he's considered black, you know? So that was pretty inspiring. That was pretty inspiring to be in high school and seeing it and be like, wow, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is this is going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? It's happening. It's happening in America, finally. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then you get here and what do you notice? What's one of the first things you notice? Because going from places like Gabon or Mali mm. or black, there are just black faces everywhere. There are black right. faces with power. There are black faces who do mm-hmm. things. And yes, there are a lot of foreigners also that have a lot of power and mm-hmm. a lot of it's behind the scenes. Yes. Cough, cough, China. And, <laughs> but it's, it's a different world. Yes. So what, what was it like coming to America and seeing that like racial uh-huh. perception? I was kind of thrown off by the I think it's when I moved here that I was like oh wait I'm black actually yeah that's the first time I had to tell myself like girl you you're black (laughs) you know because I mean I went to um I went to a French uh private school Mm -hmm. uh in elementary school so there were a lot of like white kids and white professors, white, white teachers in my school. Um, so it, it wasn't like a complex or anything like that because, I mean, there's white people there. But I just didn't 
experience the fact that because of the color of my skin, I would be treated in a different way. And I almost had to be very mindful of how I was, you know, entering spaces and what I would do or like my body language or how I would like carry myself around. That was the first time when mm -hmm. I moved to the to the US because it was just not wasn't even part of it your wasn't part of my mindset. Word. Yeah, no. And even when you went to a French school, like yeah. and in high school, what type of high school did you go to? It was a public high school. Okay, okay. it was a public high school. Mm -hmm. um, so it was mostly like black, brown mm. faces, mm -hmm. but because you know I had a lot of friends who were also going to like the French high school. Uh, I, I, I was always like in mm -hmm. around yeah. like yeah. French people or whatever. People from, from all over. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, but it was still not quite the same. I think it was the other way around for them. Um, even then, not really. I think for them, it was just more like they were trying to assimilate and, you know, be part of like the culture and the conversations and, you know, You'll be surprised by how they spoke. They spoke like us, mm -hmm. you know. So it was the other way around. And when I moved here, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm black. You're black. I'm not Malian. I'm not Gabonese. I'm not African. I am actually black. Mm -hmm. You know? That's so interesting. Yes. Because it's, you know, the conversation of the African diaspora and, and being black is obviously one that's very prevalent particularly mm -hmm. this year mm -hmm. um with what's happening in ghana the year of return and, right. and how ghana's opening its doors to all people who are black to rediscover their history and their yes. past which is you know beautiful and then you have the fact that we are all part of the african diaspora, or the black diaspora, or whichever name you want to give it mm -hmm. but with different backgrounds and different yes. histories but america one thing is so unique is that doesn't matter where you come from they'll just be like you're black this is yeah. it's like as they call it the one drop rule like you mm -hmm. have a little bit you're black mm -hmm. it's not it's not you're from Mali or Gabon or anything mm -hmm. you're like oh I, you know I'm just gonna group you all together which mm -hmm. is so horrifying because it's it, it, it and also very American because everybody mm -hmm. likes to assimilate as quickly as possible everyone wants to like differentiate except for when you have to fill out those little yeah. circles <laughs> like the little you know like where are you from are you non-hispanic no well then are you black are you chinese are you whatever i'm like mm -hmm. hmm but it's it, it, it's, it's something to note that it's that you all of a sudden that everyone just groups you together and you're like we're not all the same we're all we're, we're all connected mm -hmm. but we have different you know histories that make us who we are and, and that's part of why this podcast is happening in the first place because we're all human beings and we all have different histories and stuff but it is also important to note that those backgrounds also give us like a different tinge, like a different yes. like, view. Mm -hmm. hmm. So you started to notice that such American <laughs> racism, like you're noticing how you sit, you're noticing how you come across, you notice all these things. Mm -hmm. And do you think people are grouping you? Like, what's the other question? What are people thinking of you when you say like, Oh, like when you open your mouth, where do they think you're from? Um, well, it's been varying over the years. Um, at first, a lot of people were like, are you Haitian? Because you have a French accent. And I'm like, no, I'm not Haitian. And, you know, a lot of people 
think like when they see me that I'm from the Caribbean. Mm. Um, it's not until like the recent years that people are starting to be like, where are you from? And I'll say, you know, Mali and they'll be like, oh, I know Mali, mm -hmm. you know, Gabon, not so much because it's a smaller country. Um, but a lot of people are starting to be like, I actually had one person guess right on mm. that I was from Mali and I was like, oh, wow, you're good. Yeah, that's you're like, very good. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> very impressive. But uh, over the years, it's been a lot of like Caribbean or Nigeria yes. or, you yes. know, Ghana. Mm -hmm. Because, and I think it's because that's just like, There's so many of us. There's right. so many. There's so many. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why. That's really a big thing. Yeah. I get Ghana a lot, which they're right. And then I've never gotten Nigeria. I've gotten France. Very all interesting. The time. All the time. They're like, I think you're French. And I'm like, why do you think I'm French? And sometimes they'll see my last name in Bonsu or like Asabe Bonsu. And they'll be like, oh, it sounds kind of French. I'm like, perhaps. But people, <laughs> I don't tell them my last name. And they're like, are you French? And so in Spain, they thought I was French. And that makes sense. There's a lot of black people and right. so I was like I see your perspective but I got that in Argentina I was like why do you think I'm French like there's just something about you I was like I don't give up a French perspective I'm like where are you getting this from and then here I've also gotten French just randomly it's just strange that is interesting and I'm just like what are you what are you picking like what is your thing mm -hmm. uh, and then most recently I've met people from Guyana and people keep thinking I'm from Guyana which is I didn't even think there was a large population of people from Guyana mm -hmm. until I moved here and I was like oh wait, there's a lot of y'all here mm -hmm. <laughs> so You know, people just guess, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny, though. Mm -hmm. And someone guessed Molly. Yeah, because I I personally would not be like, oh, Molly, immediately. Like, I'd not my my but you my dad though as the like little historian he'd be like you're Molly like mm -hmm. just because he is that type yeah, of person yeah, my mom yeah. be like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and I'd, I'd be like I don't really know <laughs> um, but that's very interesting so mm -hmm. you beginning that and would you say that like your accent has changed as you've lived here longer definitely actually surprisingly I've met a few people in the recent years and uh, when I tell them you know like. I'm from Mali, I grew up in Gabon, moved here 10 years ago. They're like, oh, wow, your English is so good. I was like, really? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and many people have guessed that, you know, I was, although I, I you know, I'm, I was born somewhere else that I actually grew up here. And I'm like, no, I moved here when I was an adult mm -hmm. almost. And uh, it's it's been interesting to have people think that but also I can definitely see that um, being in New York and uh, really investing myself into learning the language and you know being almost assimilate in a way that my you know my the way I spoke just changed yeah no I mean I feel like there's just like a, you have like a very faint accent and even if you had a heavy one, I don't really care because that's just, I feel like accents make people, they define people in such a yes. beautiful way and I like yeah. hearing one mm -hmm. um, or not. But uh, I think it's also very intriguing that 
people will be like, you speak English so well. Because a lot of Americans really only speak English. And it is interesting. And that's a joke. Everyone makes jokes about Americans. They're like, you all speak one language. I'm like, that's so true. Because most people don't even leave where they're from. Like, you know, New Yorkers yeah. don't, a lot of New Yorkers don't leave. Yeah. But you meet a lot of New Yorkers who travel a lot, but leaving New York, mm-hmm. people who are born and bred here, that is not common. No. It's hard. Yeah. Because you compare every city to it and to you're like, it, yeah. there's nothing better. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, New York's pretty fucking awesome. So I can definitely feel why people yeah. feel that way. But I also th- believe it's so crucial to have that like other, like to have those experiences in mm-hmm. other countries. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, for you, you've immigrated and immigrated with an I and immigrated with an e Mm -hmm. all over and Mm -hmm. so you definitely have seen so many different things and you have family everywhere and like southern states which is very different yes um virginia southern i don't care what anybody says uh (laughs) i don't no it's southern i don't care it definitely has that vibe it definitely has that vibe and norfolk yeah yeah Um, (laughs) and then houston obviously is in texas and texas is texas like there's There's Tennessee and that's Southern, but Texas is Texas and Texas is a whole different country. Oh, it is. It really is. And uh, I like to laugh because my family calls me the Texan because I was born there. My sister was born in Indiana and then Mm. they lived in California. Then they moved to Texas. Oh, wow. But I'm the one who was born there and Mm -hmm. lived in this and they lived in the same house. They're like, oh, you're the Texan. My dad's like, oh, Texan. I'm like, I hate you, dad. I hate you. (laughs) He's like, well, you are. He's like, that's where you're from. It's fine. (laughs) Embrace it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, it's. Funny, though, because when I think of my upbringing, a lot of my impact was my parents and then my cousins, as you know, like Mm -hmm. the cousins who aren't really your cousins, but they are your cousins. Yes. And they were from Ghana or they're from Ghana and and then always. And then I had, you know, people I grew up with who were also Latin American or Mm -hmm. Spanish speakers. So I had a lot of. Whether it be Mexican or Guatemalan friends and family Mm -hmm. members. So I spent time in their houses and then. India was also a, a common theme in Plano. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I just, I grew up around a lot of different spaces and places and people and foods. And so I've always right. liked exploring people's cultures, their food mm-hmm. in their homes. Mm-hmm. Love going to people's houses of different, like wherever they're from and just like exploring it. Right. In particular, because you're like, What's, <laughs> what do they have? Like, where are mm-hmm. they bringing from whatever country yeah. their parents or great grandparents are from? So yeah. I love that. But so what did you find when you moved here? Because you made friends with Koreans. You mm-hmm. had friends who are like West African, I'm sure. Like what mm-hmm. was like the predominant group or what was what were the people? Uh, I found myself having also a few Japanese friends. Mm-hmm. And I started eating sushi. Oh, awesome. And, you know, my sister was very intrigued by me eating sushi. She was just like, why are you eating this? How, how can you even eat this? <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, I, I grew up watching uh, anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when I moved here and I was, I started like going more to like uh, on 30 sec- 32nd Street, which is a uh, Korean way, I think. And just exploring the food there so much more, whether it's like Japanese food or Korean food, you know, that definitely became a big part of my life up until this day you know I just I love Japanese food and I also had a couple of Indian friends uh and Bengali friends uh and co-workers so that's also like a part of culture that I picked up 
And it was interesting to interact with the Bengali friends uh, specifically because they were Muslim as me. So we Ooh, had... I did not know you were Muslim. I knew your brother yes. was Muhammad, but like I did not yeah. know. Yes, okay. I am. Okay. Practicing? Um, not quite. Mm-hmm. Not quite anymore. Um, but I, I was definitely raised, you know, Muslim and I still identify as Muslim mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like it's part of my identity. It's mm-hmm. part of how I was brought up. Um and I have, you know, very deep memories and uh, that directly relate to the religion. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to like uh, interact with people that are the same religion, but might be practicing it and uh, explore it in a whole different way than I was. I also, I, I would say that I picked up a lot of like uh, different other cultures, and food, I mean, I love food. Mm-hmm. So food is always, I, I think food is one of the most easiest and also the most important way to uh, immerse yourself in another culture. So true. I love it. It's, it's, I think once you have food, like food brings Mm-hmm. conversations it brings communication it, it brings so much to the table and I you know raised in Africa um, food has always been like a, a way to like show you know to, to welcome people um, a way to show appreciation you know for somebody else so food has definitely be, um, been a, a vector for me in terms of like learning different cultures and exploring and connecting with other people. So true. And we're in the great space for that. Oh yeah. I mean, New York is, yeah, it's everything. Yeah. It's everything for that. (laughs) And it's everything for so many things. So would you say that the economic or political situation is better here than it is in Gabon or Mali? Or would you say Mm. that it's, almost similar what do you think i would say that you definitely have more opportunities Mm -hmm. in the u.s unfortunately it's it's funny because i had this conversation earlier with my friend when we went to the met and we were talking about um she's from mexico Mm -hmm. well she was born in the u.s her family is from mexico and she was telling me about how she was on vacation in mexico and uh, all her Uber drivers were engineers and lawyers. And, totally. And I was like, you know what? If I was to take my diploma and move to Mali right now, I would very much struggle to find a job. Very much. Because, first of all, I was not raised in Mali. So I don't know the right people. My parents know a couple of people. But still they will probably rather hire their cousins, nephews, and nieces before they give me yes. a job. Yes, whether nepotism is, is yeah. fresh. Whether it- I'm competent or not, that's not the issue. And Mali is very, 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 very corrupted. Mm-hmm. Very much. Um, so when in terms of economics, you even if it's harder and it's, you know, the cost of living in New York is much higher. Uh, you are still able to find a job that you know you can 
have access to, you you actually have the opportunity to compete, Mm -hmm. you know? When in Mali, for example, you're not really competing. You have to work your way into being in the grace, the the good grace of certain people. Um, So I definitely feel like I, you know, I, I have... I just have better opportunities here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Opportunities that don't exist, yeah. you know, in Mali. And this is a common theme I'm hearing uh, amongst people. I was just interviewing my friend who was Thai Indian, and I interviewed another friend who's also Indian, and another friend who um, was from Russia uh, and just various countries. And being in the in crowd, mm-hmm. knowing the right people, like it, it supersedes if you're from there. Like yes. you need to know those people because nepotism and having that mm-hmm. like support is so crucial yeah. in almost every country. And it's important here as well. It's often how wealthy people get one job to the next without, yes. you know, mm-hmm. if whether or not they have the background, but in those countries, maybe not even a very wealthy country. If you do not know the right people, yes, um, even if you're from there, you really can't get the jobs you want to have. Yeah. And that's something that people forget. They're like, oh, well, you're from there. You go back. It'll be easy to get jobs. Like, no, 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 no. no. This doesn't work like that. (laughs) There's a whole bunch of like xenophobia and and, and how they perceive you as like white because you left or Mm -hmm. uh, I have a certain type of, you know, socioeconomic class and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been called uh, the equivalent of uh, Oreo. Oh, of course. (laughs) Of course me too it's fine whether it be texas whether it be when i was in ghana and when i went that one time and they were like bruni bruni and i was talking to my cousin i was like what's good she's like oh that means white person they think you're a white person i was like but i'm not they're like no no you look western and you they think you're white so that's why they keep yelling it it was like but it wasn't just her yelling someone on the street yelling it It was my own cousin yelling at me she was like seven she's like bruni i was like what girl no no and she's like well (laughs) so it's the perception it's 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 huge and yeah we always other ourselves even if mm-hmm. we all look alike there's something else we're going to separate we're like yes. class background yeah how you say this word as opposed to other people mm-hmm. it's it's frustrating mm-hmm. <laughs> um and in regards to you know your your friendships with people who are japanese and stuff would you like to talk a little bit about anime because i feel like that's super <laughs> interesting and you should totally do your plug for your awesome awesome company that you're starting uh because yeah i my friend who i was talking to before is also an artist and um mm-hmm. i just i love hearing those perspectives and showcasing the fact that people from different countries and cultures are not taking jobs but in fact adding a very rich and layered view and experiences and and mindset. So feel free to talk about it if you'd like to. (laughs) So um, I grew up watching anime. You know, we had this channel in Gabon called Manga. Mm -hmm. And that was just the thing everybody was doing. So I didn't know being into anime was really a thing until I moved here. Uh, And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's the first time I considered the word nerd. And uh, I've, you know, since I moved here, I had more access to ja- the Japanese culture, which was very interesting, whether it was like the food, the festivals or the conventions. And I think because I have struggled with uh, my identity, I had to find a way to 
be an artist, you know, to be African, to be black, and to be a nerd. And uh, I think that's where Nerdy Bay that I created um, came from because Nerdy Bay is me, you know? The other day I was thinking about how, uh, you know, my creative process and as part of my art, I always use matte cloth pattern, which is really representing the Malian side of me. And uh, when I look at my logo that I created myself, you know, I painted it and I put it next to my little matte cloth, um, you know, tablecloth that I have at home. And I was like, oh, my God, it really looks similar. Right. So I could definitely see the african artist in nerdy bay and because i'm a nerd i mean i enjoy anime i enjoy you know books and i'm a cosplayer and i think because of all these identities i've been in like uh blurred black nerd um spaces and uh i enjoyed myself there but i still felt like an outsider because I'm African. You know, there's definitely a side of me that's kind of like, but I want to come out too, you know? And uh, so creating Nerdy Bay, you know, as a brand that would celebrate, you know, the intersection of being African and being nerd, it's just, it, it's been li liberating. It's been liberating to create my own word that I can invite others in you know, versus having to go into other words and try to find a place there. What I'm doing with Nerdy Bay is really just opening the door to a different word, um, but still celebrating the fact that, you know, I'm part of the Black African diaspora. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I don't want to be a part of that. I definitely do. I mean, it's affected me and my creative process. But I feel like I want to add to the cultural exchange mm -hmm. when it comes to the black diaspora. I think it's okay and it should be, it should always have been okay for us to come together, celebrate each other, whether it's our similarities or differences. We don't have to all be the same. We can be different, but still respect and love and consider each other. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a perfectly said end quote about just making spaces and cultural spaces for yourself and for other people like you um, mm -hmm. and making it just like an, uh, an open community. Very like, very lovely. I love that. <laughs> and I'm excited. I cannot wait to see what is in store with Nerdy Bay. So, yes. <laughs> uh, and I did want to ask you about dating. It's like, because it's too good, you know, it's just too good. Is and it? I, yeah, it is too good because as a black woman, as an African woman, as just anything, just dating in general yeah. is tricky in New York City. But I'm super curious to see what that was like for you getting here because you are mm -hmm. fresh, you know, attractive, smart. You're like going to school, you're meeting people. How did that like feel? Because dating is it's so fun when you're moving and you're new and then as you know the city more people start trying to like say kind of the same things they said before like mm -hmm. i can show you like everybody been here 
it's like what else do you want so like how do like dating men and what's that experience been like for you and how did it feel so it, it was a struggle because I like I said my mom is Fulani so I had I had a few uh, Fulani um, relative uh-huh. in Gabon and uh, it was interesting growing up in Africa being skinny mm-hmm. petite oh yes honey you're you a tiny know. little muffin were they like yes. oh, she's too small yes yeah they do not do skinny there no <laughs> they think you're starving my uh, yeah <laughs> my my whole my whole childhood was about why don't you eat you should eat more look at you you're so skinny you're not gonna find a husband oh yes it's a bit they like that mm, yep and like, why are you trying to say that when you know I eat normally? Exactly. Like- and and I am dark skinned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it was a struggle mm-hmm. being told that, you know, I didn't have the right body type. And uh, actually, um, a lot of people were telling me that um, the only type of man that could be interested in me would be white Frenchman. Yes. Yeah, that that was a thing growing up. That that was a thing. So when I moved here already my confidence in like my body was uh pretty low. And I think that's something that uh cosplay has helped me with, you know, being able to cosplay any fierce character that, you know, is like sexy and smart and like the first character that I cosplayed officially was uh, Ryuko Matoi from the anime called Kill la Kill. And her her uniform is like a, a short, like a crop top um, with like a very mini uh, skirt. And it was a big deal for me to like wear that in public and go to a convention. It was huge for me. But, you know... I got out of my, you know, it's it, since I moved here, getting out of my comfort zone has been the thing for me to do because I was conditioned to like, you're skinny, you're too skinny, you're too dark. You, nobody's going to be attracted to you except white men. And it's weird that that's where people went. But the whole being too dark thing, even in African nations, yes. where there are dark people and we are not yeah. the darkest. Oh, I'm no. sorry. Oh, no, no, no. No doubt. We are not the darkest. The fact not that that all. is still even a comment that comes out of people's mouths mm-hmm. is, is like sad. I mean, and who, and who, where do you think that comes from, though? I think it's colorism oh. and it's it comes from colonialism. Yep. Girl. Preach. Because, yeah, Preach. because, you know, that historically, the lighter you were the more attractive you were considered because you're mixed to a little bit of like white blood. Mm-hmm. So dating has been challenging when I moved here. And also I was like, I'm shy. Well, I was mm-hmm. shy. So I didn't really meet people like out there. And I resorted to like dating apps. Uh, I'm on those right now and it's just such a I was talking to a friend about it and she goes you know and she's very happy in a relationship now Mm. we used to reminisce about like dating and I was in a relationship still and getting out of it and now I'm out of it and I'm like okay I want to date but I don't really want like a relationship I'm not in the mood but dating and exploring the city totally down Mm -hmm. even that yeah even that that can be challenging because I feel like uh, 
the last time I used uh, a dating app, you know, I was just like, you know what? I don't really want to um, go out and be on a date with a different person every other day. And, you know, I've it's interesting that um, I was on dating apps and a lot of the people who were interested in me were white. Mm. Wait, is this like all apps? Uh, well, I was using specifically uh, OkCupid. Okay, OkCupid, yes, white men. Okay, but yes. there's a thing. It's a thing I'm noticing. OkCupid, a lot of white men, and then hinges a lot of black men for me. I oh, really? Know. It just, I, and I don't know what it is. I think it's, I think it's what you put in your profile. But mm-hmm. it's interesting. Sorry, continue. It's not about <laughs> But but you know, I, I I went on dates with like Indians with. Uh, uh, Caribbean people, um, people from all over, really. Um, but uh, I only had maybe like two serious relationships out of like dating apps. And uh, I just, at some point, I just felt like, you know what? I'm not really going to find the person I want to be with um, on a dating app. Uh and it's very interesting because I, um, when I met my partner, I was getting out of a relationship, right? I think I, I had broken up with somebody like maybe three, six months before I met him. And uh, at the time, I was not even looking for a relationship. I was just like in this space where I wanted to, you know, go out, enjoy myself and do things that... Uh, made myself happy mm-hmm. uh, so I went to the Black Comic Book Festival at the Schomburg and that's where I met him he was tabling trying to sell me a book and I was like bro I just spent like so much money I'm not gonna buy your book right now and he gave me his information invited me to one of their events and uh, started, I started going there because obviously it's it's very funny but I'm like legit their target audience yeah you are so (laughs) so you know i started going there and um somehow we ended up going on a date it's awesome and uh you know i think we neither of us was really expecting a relationship out of this um but it's been almost two years now and uh it's been uh, a good and interesting journey but i definitely know that you know when i was like in the dating world in new york it was just Mm, 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 mm. overwhelming sometimes very overwhelming yeah and especially because i was like working going to school and it's like do i really want to have a date on a wednesday night or do i really want to just go home and relax you know but um I, I, I mean, I don't regret, I don't regret it, but I can definitely relate to the fact that uh, dating in New York is challenging, especially as a black educated woman. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And who you attract also is, yes. is you know, often if it is a white man, you can tell they, well, they'll tell you they've had it, like they've dated black women. I'm like, okay, great. I mean, the, 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 the thing that was very um, interesting and almost offending to me was uh, this white dude uh, messaged me on a dating app and 
at some point in the conversation was kind of like, uh, hey, chocolate. And I was like, Bitch, no. I'm not talking to you again. No. Like, never. <laughs> I was like, why? How? What? So that was kind of like part of like the. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say it to me on the street. Don't say it to me. In the app. Don't yeah. say it to me anywhere. Yeah. Ooh, people are gross and they think what's socially acceptable or, you know, equating you to a piece of of a sweet or something like it's something endearing. It's not endearing. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that's an interesting story, to say the least. Um, (laughs) Would you say that, um, you know, after that, like obviously dating, you you get to learn about other cultures and other people and yourself as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know you realizing like you're black in America and, and how that, and that like framework and what that is in America, which is just a very sordid and difficult mm-hmm. history and past. Did you feel that you would take any of your background from being from Mali, being from Mali, being Gabonese? Did you feel like that was ever in play a lot here or no? It definitely was. First of all, because of my name, a lot of people were like, where are you from? And I will tell them, you know, I'm from Mali, grew up in Gabon, moved here in 2010. They were like, oh, shit, that's really awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then they will learn that, you know, I speak French and that would definitely turn them on. Like, oh, my God, can you tell me something in French? And I'm like, it's a language, people. And really, it's a language. Um, You know, I don't quite get the obsession with with French that some people have but I mean that's probably because I'm privileged because Mm -hmm. I it's my first language unfortunately Mm -hmm. but I would say that um, the fact that I was different definitely like brought more attention because people were just intrigued you see my face if somebody would see my face I'm just so annoyed by like say something in French like fuck off like this is my language I also speak English and guess what you would probably pick up another language too because you can but the fact that people exoticize and such exactly. a ooh, it, it's, it's sometimes it's fun when you are dating in a new place other yeah, times yeah, yeah. you're like alright 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 right. I mean when it becomes like a, a thing with like every other person you talk to then it's like alright yeah. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> let's let's talk about something else. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the only thing that I'm about. This is not my only story and yeah. I have many, so let's let's broaden our minds a little bit. That's really very poignant and so <laughs> special. Uh I'm trying to think if there's any other impactful things. We've discussed so many things. Is there anything you'd like our listeners to know about Malaya Gabon or New York or your life and or anything else impactful? I mean, I would say that go ahead and explore. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be afraid. Africa is big. Mm-hmm. I uh, went to Senegal uh, for the first time in May, June. And uh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was at home, but not quite, not quite at home. Because it's Senegal is also different than Mali, although it's you know close by it's still very different and uh i'm excited because i know that there's many other countries in africa and all around the world that you know i want to visit so i would say that you know don't let 
fear or economics because there's ways around traveling uh, on a budget. So do you explore? Don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and look out for Nerdy Bay, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important for people to explore Africa and to explore in general. Yeah. Uh, and it is a very intimidating continent because mm -hmm. it's a continent, not a country. Yes. And it's so... And every country is different and Very. they all have a different history and culture and language and impact globally. So mm -hmm. when people are like, oh, like, is that country dangerous? I'm like, every country is dangerous. And to be honest with you, if you're from, pardon me, Dallas, it's more dangerous than New York. Oh, yeah. And more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more homicides in Dallas than there is in New York. It's strange. It's not strange. It makes sense. But it's also you change your perspective. And then when mm -hmm. people, you know. When people think of Liberia or they think of right. Senegal, they're like, oh, well, Ebola or what's happening here. It's like, these are very like particular places. Yes. It's not the entire country. Exactly. <laughs> and you yeah. need to, and doing research and reading is so important so as important. well. So uh, important. Because you'll learn more and, and then, you know, reaching out and, you know, eating the food and yes. there's so many tours and I've, I have a really good friend who is French and she loves, you know, going to countries and trying the food. Mm -hmm. And she, so she goes on the tours and she goes to the tours of people who are from there. Yeah. She's like, I would like to learn about, you know, she lived in DRC for a while and mm -hmm. she is like a colonist. So like, <laughs> and there's like, she worked in real estate and I, I like called her out for that. I was like, do you realize like what you, <laughs> like what, you, like what that, what, what people are like seeing when they see yes. you there? She's like, Oh, I didn't even think about this. Like, yeah. <laughs> but what I love about her is that she's so adamant about getting to like the people from the country and trying the food and like really putting them on social media. So mm -hmm. I'm sure at some point I'll be interviewing her because she is a lovely human being. And um, yeah, no, I'm so grateful that you have made time for me to let me interview a second time there's a little issue last time because i didn't quite know what i was doing with my equipment and there was you know being a beginner but the story was rich and layered and definitely displayed the difference between immigrant and immigrant and yeah we'll watch out for nerdy bay and watch out for this podcast all right so thank you very much thank you mm -hmm.